May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So here we are, week three in Advent, at the beginning of, anyway. This time of preparation. As I said last week, Advent is not just a time of preparation for Christmas. In part, it is about Christmas. But it's so much more than about Christmas. As I've said on a number of occasions, Advent is about preparing to encounter the Christ of history, who we do meet in the Christmas story, but who we also meet in the whole story of Jesus' life and ministry. A life, a story that shows us what the reign of God looks like. And we are preparing to encounter the Christ of mystery, who we meet in the spirit of the crucified and risen Christ, bringing in the reign of God now in this place. And we learn where to look for the signs of the reign by looking back to the story of the life and ministry of Jesus, the Christ of history. And we do that preparing for the Christ of majesty when God's reign will fully come, when creation is restored and humanity renewed. So I, as I have said, Advent is important. Uh, Advent in Advent, Christmas is important, but it's not the point. Advent is so much more than Christmas. It is an, an invitation to go bigger. As you all know, during Advent we are offered these four themes through which we can explore all these ideas about Advent. And today the theme is the gift of joy, which is a great theme on a day like today. Well, on a day like today when we're supposed to be having the carols on the lawn, but my deep suspicion is, and we'll need to make a decision about this at the end of the service, my deep suspicion is that it will be postponed till next week, but never mind. Joy is also, it feels like something that we can all do with after the year we've had, which at times has felt pretty fraught and joyless. So what is joy? Well, I've offered some thoughts about that in the pew sheets, uh, and I've included uh, a little passage from our Franciscan rule. But simply put, all of that says that joy is a gift of God. It is not something we can develop for ourselves. It is given to us. But as I've said before, there are some things that we can do to help us receive this gift, this gift of joy. In uh, the book that I've quoted in the past, the book of joy, lasting happiness in a changing world, the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu and Douglas Abrahams, a Buddhist and a Christian and a Jew, talk about three ways to nurture joy. They talk about reframing a situation positively, experiencing gratitude, and being kind or generous. So here's a practical example of that, slightly gross example, but uh, after we'd had our pub night on uh, Friday night, I went to the toilet, and uh, there was somebody in there doing a much smellier thing than I was doing. <laughs> and uh, I was feeling like, ugh, slightly constricted by my mask, but when I went in there, I gave thanks for my mask, because it muffled that smell. <laughs> and 
Uh, so that, that helped me reframe the situation positively. Thank God for this mask. And then I experienced gratitude for my mask and for the fact that I had to wear a mask. And that allowed me to actually feel less grumpy with the person who was in the store. Uh, and I, I felt actually that I was able to be a lot more generous and kind to that person as a result. So that's a slightly gross, but a practical example about how these things allow us to receive this gift of joy. And in fact, most of the time, it is in the mucky bits of life that we need to remember these three things. And what's really interesting is that these three ways of nurturing joy, or opening us up to the gift of joy, keep coming up in the spiritual traditions of both Buddhism and Judaism and Christianity, and I suspect in many other faith traditions as well. These are ways that help us pay attention to joy, ways that we can water and nurture the divine gift of joy in our life. And as we, as a society, work through what COVID is doing to us, and as we work through how people are responding to being vaccinated or not vaccinated, and as we work through all of that, I think we need to hold on to all of these, to look at different ways of reframing these situations positively and to be open to experience gratitude in different, difficult situations and to try to be kind and generous at all times, which is not always easy. I will certainly try to hold on to these. But I do wonder, as I say all of that, if there is more to this joy thing. Or even what I usually think and say about hope and peace and love. Advent, after all, is an invitation to go bigger. And I note that when I think about these things, I tend to start with something like, what brings me joy? Or what do I hope for? I start with me. And I feel a little anxious about that because over on the side is John the Baptizer staring down and preaching, you brood of vipers. Or as today's translation put it, you children of snakes. In the end, all of these things aren't about me. It isn't about what brings me joy. Sure, focusing on the Christmas story can leave me feeling all joyful, and that's good, but thinking about the whole story of Jesus' life and ministry, so that I can hear the invitation to join the Christ of mystery in bringing in the reign of God as a foretaste for when the Christ of majesty restores humanity and renews creation, all of that invites me to go bigger. It invites me, in fact, to repent, as John the Baptist said, to repent of my littleness, to my tenden tendency to start with me, to, in a little way, to have my mind blown by what God is up to, because this is not about me, and it's not about what brings me joy or hope or peace or love. It's about 
so much more. When I allow my mind to be blown, I see that this is not even about us and about what brings us joy. It's about how we live God's hope, God's peace, God's joy, God's love in ways that bring hope and peace and love and joy to this world, God's creation. Which is, I think, what John is all about. He disappeared. With his brood of vipers and his baptism of repentance. In the podcast I listen to as I get ready each week for the sermon, uh, this week they talked about the difference between John's baptism, John's baptism of repentance, and what Christian baptism was all about, or is all about. Because they were different things. John did not go around baptizing people in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His was something else. So what was his thing about? And when we think about baptisms of repentance, we often think about that in terms of a cleansing thing. People are unclean, they have sinned, so in baptism they are cleaned of that and they are made pure again. But they talked about these water ceremonies then and now largely being about preparation. So if you go to a mosque, uh, the men will wash before they go in as they prepare to enter that holy place. It is an act of preparation. So, <coughs> that phone just annoyed me. It's my phone, so I can be annoyed by it, but it was on silent. <laughs> it's just decided to turn the sound back on. So, uh, so in the baptism of repentance, uh, that was not so much about in the act of that being forgiven sins, but actually preparing to be in the divine presence, preparing for what was about to happen, which in part was preparing to have sins forgiven. Not because people were baptised, but because God loves us first and has already forgiven us. So this baptism of repentance then, and how we do baptism, is preparing to have our minds blown by God's compassion and generosity, so that our hearts and lives are changed, which is what repentance means, having our minds blown so that our hearts and lives are changed. <coughs> it's about preparing to allow God to refine us. So last week, uh, one of our readings could have talked about the refiner's field and being uh, the fuller's field and fuller's soap and the re and refining silver and gold. So a fuller's soap is the soap they use to clean white cloth to make it sparkle. And the fuller's fields were where they did that and then left those cloths out to dry in the sun. And they scrubbed it, scrubbed it clean. So that's about preparing so that we might be scrubbed clean, refined. 
So in today's passage, there's the bit about Jesus with, in the NRSV, it talks about the winnowing fork, but the common English Bible talks about the, the shovel, which is going to be used to separate the wheat from the husks. And we often think about that as separating the good people from the bad people. Um, I don't know if any of you saw the film by Tom Hanks about Mr. Rogers, who I had never heard of until I watched the film with Tom Hanks in it. Uh, But he's a famous American uh, uh, media personality, was, I think he's since died, Uh, and he was just this lovely, gentle man uh, who just did children's programs, but also um, had this beautiful faith that came through in everything that he did. And one of the things he talked about was that good people have bad things about them, and bad people have good things about them. There is no such thing as a totally good person, and there's no such thing as a totally bad person. And so people think about that and they say, when John is talking about this, what he's talking about isn't separating the bad from the good people, but actually separating out the good elements from all of us, from the bad elements that are all in all of us. We are being refined. We are being scrubbed clean. And so the baptism of repentance was a baptism in preparation for God acting on people in that way. It was about preparing and is about preparing to allow God to refine us. It is about preparing to let letting go of how we have seen the world and entering a new community who lived in the world very differently. Which is what Christmas is all about. It's what Advent is all about. It's about learning to see the world differently, in a bigger way. And to do that, we first of all need to know that we are indeed a brood of vipers, children of snakes. And we need to know that God does love us anyway, and forgives us anyway. We are already forgiven. And in response to that forgiveness, we are invited into the story of changing the world. And when we allow that to happen, well then, maybe, maybe then we can experience true joy, which is more than just about me feeling happy. So one of the things to note about John was that he was very practical. So when people said, what then shall we do? He gave some very practical ideas. If you have two shirts, or in the NRSV, two cloaks, give one to somebody who doesn't have one. Which I'm sure the cloak makers weren't too happy about, because that would have reduced their market. But nonetheless, that's what he said. And if you have food, and you see somebody with no food, share your food. Very practical said to the tax collectors, don't take more than you're allowed to take. Said to the soldiers, not, so sometimes we read these as Roman soldiers, Roman soldiers would have gone anywhere near John the Baptist. This is uh, the soldiers who work for people like Herod and the Sanhedrin and the high priests. So these are the Jewish-ish soldiers. They went to him and he, they, he said to them, just be happy with your pay. Don't extort from other people. Which is a very tricky thing. Because when you go against what everyone else does, 
that causes ripples and troubles. So one of the commentators said, to do that is a, an incredibly countercultural thing. And they talked about the example of an American policeman who went to the family and apologized, the family of somebody he shot, an unarmed black person, he had accidentally shot, he went to the family and apologized, and when his court case came up, no other policeman or woman went to the trial to support him, because he had broken rank. He had not done what everyone else does. So, what John is talking about sounds easy, but for the tax collectors to not extort more than they were due, that would have got them into trouble with every other tax collector. For the soldiers to not extort and to just rely on their pay, that would have got them in trouble with every other soldier. So, very practical, but also very countercultural. So I want to finish this Christmas, as we think about all of these things, with this question, and as we think about preparing for Christmas. How do we prepare for Christmas in a way that allows other people to experience joy, God's joy? As we think about the chain of supply that allows us to buy our food and buy our presents and all the other things that we might do this Christmas, how can we do that and how have we done that in the past in a way that allows all of those people on that chain to experience joy? And maybe sometimes that means we have to break from how we've done it in the past. So my final question then is, how has all this shaped and how will this shape what we practically do as we prepare for this Christmas? I invite you to spend a moment thinking about that and then we will affirm our faith in this world-changing God using the liturgical affirmation.